Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Keith Nelson. Thanks for being on the show, Keith. Thank you, Whitney. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, it's great to have you on the show. And uh, Keith is an investor first philosophy. I like that. And consistent paying returns, a conservative approach to investing, hitting singles versus swinging for the fences, and flexible and adaptive problem solving. Uh, so I love that preservation of capital. So awesome stuff, Keith. And I'm looking forward to diving into that. And I know just a little bit about our conversation before we got started, just your focus on having multiple safe falls for preserving capital, and uh, which is so important. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about that. But give us a little more about just who you are and how you got into this industry, maybe a little bit, and then let's dive in. Sure, sure. Well, like I was telling you before, I had a pretty interesting career trajectory. You know, I was a DEA special agent in New York for uh, four years before me and my wife moved to South Carolina, where I took on a teaching career for a couple of years before I dove into real estate. And before I even knew what syndication was, it was, you know, me and a couple of buddies from New York trying to buy 12 unit multifamily down in South Carolina. And it took me about two years to buy our first asset. And then that just kickstarted a career in commercial real estate. You know, we started real syndication company, dual city investments. And then we went on to creating our first fund two years ago. Nice. Well, you know, two years to get into that first property and a lot of people won't stick it out that long, you know? So what was it in you that said, you know what, we're still pushing forward. We're still going to make this happen even after two years. Well, I was doing it part-time, right? I was teaching and looking for uh, assets in my backyard because the introduction of positive cash flow to my New York, you know, friends and family was a foreign concept. You know, they'd buy assets and rely on the appreciation of it. And I saw stuff down here that had positive cash flow. So me and a couple of buddies, my ex-partner from New York, you know, just chipped in some money and, you know, it was my job to go find that property. That's probably when I quickly realized that relying on commercial brokers is not the best way to find assets. So it propelled me into, well, you know, if they could do it, I could do it too. So that's, I left teaching, went into commercial real estate to, to learn how to find those assets myself. And well, that's a whole nother story. I'm not <laughs> really no clear cut path in teaching that, but I did go in, you know, as a buyer first. And I think that helped me, you know, on the commercial broker side of things on how to move real estate and know what's a good deal and what's not a good deal. Yeah. So that's interesting, you know, becoming or going on the brokerage route, but really your goal was to buy, right? And learn how to buy. And so, you know, is that a route that you would recommend to others now is to pursue maybe a career in a, with a brokerage firm to learn that side of the industry? I would just for the fact that I don't know what your experience is with brokers, but mine is 99 out of 100 have no idea what they're talking about or looking at. It's astonishing, you know, how people have careers in that business and just don't know basic information. So it was a combination of that and having no track record, trying to get the decent brokers to call you back. It was just a, a nightmare also. So, I mean, if you could find one, a good one or a good couple, that's great. I think it cuts the learning curve down a lot. But personally, I just couldn't do it. So I had to figure out how to do it myself. 
Nice. I love the, just the mentality of, you know, just, we're just going to go figure this out. And, and you said earlier, you know, if they can do it, I can do it too. And, and I've had to say the same thing to myself, you know, when I started learning about real estate uh, and numerous occasions, you know, you meet somebody else that's doing something that, you know, you didn't even know it was possible. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, if they can figure it out, I can too. So I want to, you know, jump in and really highlight some of the, you know, just how you have multiple safe falls for preserving capital, you know, maybe what that looks like. And let's go through that a little bit, you know, for you and your team. But first, you know, tell us like, what kind of properties are you all looking for? And what are you all, what's your criteria? Well, we primarily started in multifamily. That's what we cut our teeth on. The market was good when we bought our first asset in 2015. We probably bought six or seven straight multifamily, you know, getting larger and larger each each time we did it to start with. But about two years ago, multifamily industry really dried up a lot and we had to make a pivot. So we started looking at other asset classes and I learned, you know, all about those a lot through trial and error, but, you know, a lot of research, a lot of reading, a lot of educating. So we got into self-storage. We later, in our fund, we have an office building in Ohio. We have a boutique hotel in upstate New York, storage apartments. You know, we pretty much run the gamut on investments. If it's a good deal, we look at it, kind of reverse engineer it, and then we'll study the market to see if it's a market we want to get into. But, you know, we had to make a pivot when, when more and more of these syndication groups and funds were being created. It just, it squeezed the market so tight that it couldn't make sense of buying multifamily anymore. Nice. Well, I just, I love the flexibility, you know, and not just giving up there and, 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 you know, and figuring it out, making it happen. You know, so tell me again, I know you said you had an office and hotel and, and multifamily and, and self-storage as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, self-storage is probably the next largest class of assets that we control. I, like, I personally like it better because it's, you know, you always hear the expression, no tenants, no toilets. I also like it because, you know, people don't pay their rent. You get to auction their stuff off. So, you know, I do like that industry. And, and you know, thankfully during this whole uh, COVID thing, our numbers are uh, holding steady and actually in some stores, they went up a bit. So. Nice. So are those units, are those properties, are they all over the country or are they local to you? Primarily in North and South Carolina, the storage stuff, because there's a little more hands-on, you need, you know, some asset managers and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's North and South Carolina, all our, all our storage. What's maybe a couple of crucial points to going into a different asset class like that, since you've done it numerous times in different asset classes, you know, what was a couple of crucial things that you would tell the listener to do before they, you know, maybe they've become experts in multifamily, but now they're kind of feeling the same way. Well, maybe I should go try self-storage or office or hotel or whatever, but you know, it's, uh, we haven't done that yet. Right. You know, so what are a couple of things they need to be thinking thinking about before trying another asset class like that? Well, like you said before, you know, if they could do it, you know, I could do it. It's just the mindset. Just dive in and learn as much as you, you can. The other thing is that, I mean, it helps. We, not necessarily for storage, but when we purchased the hotel, we brought in a, you know, a hotel manager that knew what they were looking at and talking about. And that was a little more complicated than the storage. The storage, if you could do multifamily, you could do storage, you know, just like you could do mobile home parks. They're all, I think, run pretty similar. But my advice is if you're going outside your you know, sphere of expertise, get someone that knows what they're looking at and what they're talking about and rely heavily on that person. Great advice. No doubt about it. So let's jump into some of the safe falls that you all have in place for preserving capital. I'd love to dive in there a little bit. Sure. 
you know, we'd like to come up with at least two strategies of what we're going to do when plan A doesn't work, right? And I think it was Mike Tyson that said, you know, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. That's real estate in a nutshell. You know, every property we ever took over, <laughs> nothing goes 100% the plan. So you've got to be able to pivot and fall back on, you know, multiple plans. So what we've been successful is having that plan B and plan C, you know, in place in case just, hey, we're going to increase occupancy, increase the rents, and we're going to make a lot of money. doesn't work. What's our backup strategy? Case in point, the boutique hotel that we bought, you were able to convert the units to condos. And it was in an area where housing was a shortage. Condos prices were high. Condo conversion makes sense there. So you can't keep the occupancy or something happens. We could have always fell back on you know conversion or, or something like that. We've bought properties before where uh, storage was our, you know, B or C plan. Like, okay, we're going to buy this industrial building. We're going to try to lease it up. If that doesn't work, okay, markets, you know, the feasibility study in that area says storage may work. So, the, you know, we do our numbers, obviously, performers ahead of time. And, you know, if that doesn't work, we did that with a couple of buildings, turned it into indoor storage and then moved on. So, you know, I probably have a hundred examples, but, you know, just to, Think outside the box, have those those safety nets. That's what our investors, I think, appreciate with us, you know, the most is for sure. Protecting yeah. their so you know, like the hotel that you converted, you did convert units into condos? No, we actually didn't have to. That was one of the Okay. <laughs> one of the few that, that I mean it's fairly new. We've only had it for a year and a half. So it's always a backup plan, but so far we're doing pretty well with that. Yeah, no, that's awesome. At least you have that plan there. And, and, but, you know, help me to think through that a little bit in the listener. So you are, you know, like even like the storage that could be, or if you bought industrial and you could turn it into storage, you know, what are some things you're thinking about there though, or how you know that this is a valid plan B? Well, I mean, we have software that tells us, you know, square foot per capita and all that. So, you know, median income and just owning storage the last, you know, five years has, has taught us a lot of what to look for. But, you know, if those numbers work, pencil that in as, you know, plan B and have the capital to do it. It's not crazy expensive to convert a, you know, empty shell into, uh, you know, indoor climate control storage. So, you know, thankfully the plan worked and, you know, that's what we hang our hat on is just being adaptive. Yeah. No, that's awesome. What about any other, you know, just safe falls that you all put in place for preserving uh, capital? I mean, pivots, we've pivoted some, uh, you know, on some apartment deals. We had a, a third party management company that was stealing, essentially. Wow. Us, uh, it went horribly. We didn't raise enough capital to start with and we had to pivot real quick. So instead of turning, you know, all the tenants and renovating all the units, like our original plan was, we had to make a switch. So, um, you know, we just did a, a sample size, renovated probably six to 10 out of a hundred units showed that we could push the rents to there. And then we, you know, put it on the market and say, Hey, look, this was our plan. This is what happened. Here's the pro forma numbers. And this is your path to do it. We've proven the concept and, you know, gone ahead and exited the asset. So another uh, conversion deal that we did in North Carolina was um, we were converting an empty building to storage and, you know, we were going through everything, got the permits, got the zoning, got everything lined up. And two minutes before we started uh, the build out, a uh, major competitor opens, you know, right down the block. And if you know storage, that's probably the one thing that can, you know, crush a deal is just more units online. It's not enough population to, to serve it. 
So uh, we pivoted. We, um, we built out a little bit. We used the back for industrial storage. And, you know, that was a plan I had in mind. I said, all right, you know, this numbers don't work anymore. Let's move it. We ended up exiting that, you know, sooner than later. But for me, like you said before, I, I'll hit singles all day long. I don't have to hit grand slams and home runs. Love that. I like the, you know, just the attitude. You're, I mean, being satisfied, right? And, and just being consistent. There's just a lot of value in being just consistent and not having the shiny object syndrome, I guess, right? Yeah. And that's, you know, we've built, we haven't done any advertising. And I think this is like my second podcast I've ever done. You know, everything's been word of mouth and we've grown our investor base strictly word of mouth so far. And we continue to because, you know, we put the investor first and we haven't missed or i shouldn't say we haven't missed the target but we have 100 percent win rate as far as i'm concerned and win rate i mean i return more capital than than you gave me and right. that's that's another thing we pride ourselves on and you know, uh, our fund is doing well during this whole COVID thing and you know a lot of the so-called gurus and you know people you see on facebook and advertising everywhere i think a lot of them are hurting or they're going to be and you know when smoke clears i think we're going to be one of the few that are standing what do you think helped give you the just the mindset or mentality of like just pushing forward or being able to just pivot and, you know, just taking things as they're thrown at you? And because not everybody can do that or, you know, or they're not conditioned for that. Or, uh, you know, what was that for you that helped you to really have that type of just mental strength? I think first and foremost, the people I surround myself with, my two, you know, primary partners are like minded, they're conservative and they're problem solvers. When we're hit with adversity, we don't you know, crumble and crawl into a corner, we strategize. No one panics. We get in a room and just ink out our options and make the adjustment. Nice. No, it's so important who you surround yourself with. No doubt about it. Team members are so important. So Keith, what's been the hardest part of this syndication journey for you? The hardest part? Well, besides that initial two-year searching for a property, I I say starting with, you know, uh, no track record or little track record. It's hard to raise capital. It's, you know, kind of what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Then when you build a track record and the capital's, you know, plentiful, the deals are are harder to come by. So, you know, it's a balancing act. That's what led us into creating a fund. We thought that would be an easier vehicle to raise and purchase and give us the flexibility. And so far it's been better, not perfect. And, you know, we continue to say, hey, our next fund, what can we do different? What, you know, how could we add more safe falls and continue to raise capital and, and whatnot? So, you know, we're constantly improving, constantly seeing how we do something better. And that's how I like to look at everything. And that's, you know, after looking at thousands of funds or thousands of syndication groups, you know, how can I do something a little bit better than, than everybody else? And uh, that's what we try to do. Well, what is a way that you all have recently improved your business that we could apply to ours? I mean, just our conservative mindset, you know, we don't buy property off of speculation. We buy it off of, you know, minimum cash flow most of the time, other than the conversion deals and and some, you know, construction deals we've done. But, you know, we try to have that plan in place and say, hey, look, this is, we're buying it at, you know, minimum cash return. And what's the worst thing that can happen? And I have to be honest, I never thought a pandemic would be uh, (laughs) on our list of things to consider, but we'll think of that next time also. So just, you know, conservative mindset. And I'll just give you a quick story. Before this whole, you know, coronavirus thing happened, we were under contract for a $10 million shopping center in Tennessee. And the tenants were a, uh, two big box tenants were Gold's Gym, a call center, and a bunch of restaurants. You know, before this, we were like, oh, shoot, this is all Amazon, you know, resistant 
tenants and it's doing well, it's in a growing right. area and all that. And then bam, luckily, you know, we didn't go through with that, but something, and just another thing, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, just think worst case and, you know, hopefully they do okay, but I'm glad I'm not stuck with that challenge right now. Yeah. A few months ago, some solid restaurants and a Gold's Gym, you would have thought were great tenants. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So awesome. Well, yeah. And that's sometimes there's just things you can't account for specifically, but there's other ways that you do. You have reserves or there's other backup plans. Like you talked about, we have a plan B and I love that. Just that mindset is, you know, what's going to happen when our plan A doesn't work. And so what's been your best source for meeting investors right now? Like I said, just word of mouth, friends, family, and just recommendations. Best recommendations we've gotten are through our investors' accountants. So those are always good when an accountant can refer somebody. Yeah. You don't have to deal with their taxes and seeing their returns and whatnot. So um, that's just how we're, we're growing right now. We're uh, set up. We got cash on the sidelines, investors, you know, hungry to go. You know, they trust us and, you know, we're ready for to come out of this thing, you know, firing on all cylinders. Tell us what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Finding the right people to work with. Uh, and going back to my example of a crooked management company, we recently hired a full-time manager and doing things in-house and she's been, you know, a lifesaver. My partners, you know, you surround yourself with people that work harder than you and are smarter than you and you'll be successful. How do you like to give back? Well, actually, just recently, we bought a uh, truckload of Amazon returned general goods. We sorted it and we're going to give all the medical and you know disinfectant and gloves and all that to the local hospitals in Greenville. So um, that was a good, uh, yeah, we got a pallet full of toilet paper also. So that's... <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Wow. Well, Keith, I'm grateful for your time. Pleasure to meet you and to have you on the show. And just, you know, you're stressing the importance of having a plan B and plan C and just the mental strength that you have. I love just, you know, knowing we're going to keep pushing forward. We're not giving up. We're going to, you know, we can pivot. We can make this work, make it happen. And we can do it. If somebody else can do it, we can figure it out and do it too. So just thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Visit our website, dualcityinvestments.com. And you can email me. My phone number's on the page. So if they have questions, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Thanks, Keith. That's a wrap. Appreciate you very much. Thanks, Whitney. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.